Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 37. My name is James, and today I am joined by Chris G. of the Making It podcast. Chris is a veteran of the music industry, and he teaches his students and his listeners how they can find success in that industry as well. I wanted to talk to Chris about the state of the music industry in 2021, having just come out of the pandemic year where everything was closed, but also just kind of about the personalities and some of his stories that he's got. Obviously, he can't name names because of confidentiality and career concerns, but uh, he does have some pretty good stories. More than that, though, I wanted to talk to him about how my audience can find success, you know, if not in the music industry specifically, then also just as entrepreneurs. I know that there's a lot of opportunities for freelancing and kind of side hustles in every industry. And so this one seemed particularly unique. And being that we are coming off of a year where the music industry was just completely shaken up. It seems like it's an industry rich with opportunity right now. So I wanted to get his thoughts on that. And then also we get into some personal topics towards the end as well. So make sure to listen through to the whole thing to hear his life story and some of the struggles that he's gone through. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, especially if you are interested in entrepreneurship and kind of making your side hustles your primary livelihood. So without further ado, here is my interview with Chris G. Chris G, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited uh, to be here. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> yeah, so I've been uh, I've been kind of binging your podcast lately. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. I mean, even if even if you don't know anything about the music industry or have even aspirations in it, there's lots of really cool tips for you know entrepreneurs and and even like employees who are eager to kind of grow in their own careers. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to have you on. But before we start. Why don't you just kind of introduce yourself so that people know who we're talking to? Sure, yeah. I've been in the music industry since since 2006. So I'm going to try to make this a short version. But I started off as a pre-med student and I uh, loved live music my entire life. I mean, I used to go to 10 to 20 shows a month, like literally all throughout high school and college. And before med school, I wanted to do something that I'm really enjoyed and that's put on a concert. And after that one concert, I decided not to go to med school and go into the music industry. And my parents to this day still wait, are waiting for me to get a real job. <laughs> um, but I've been in the music industry as mostly as a promoter for since 2006, promoting concerts. I've worked for the two biggest promoters in the world, uh, Live Nation and AEG Presents. Mm-hmm. And my big passion though is I think building something from the bottom up. So promoting shows... You, know, you get to see a lot of great artists, and but that's all you do. You see them for one day, and that's it. And then you're done with that artist. So every day is a new, new, new coming in. And artist management just seemed very attractive to me because you build something from the ground up. It's very entrepreneurial. So I got into artist management, started managing artists, all different types of genres. And now, because I love podcasts so much and comedy so much, I... You know, there's managers for podcasters and there's managers for comedians. So I'm starting to dabble in that space. And one of the, the podcasters I work with is Brian Nichols from The Brian Nichols Show. Um, I do the marketing for him. And we're now trying to create a similar model to where we are now taking more of a rock and roll approach for libertarian candidates to try to help uh, libertarians get some better results than just 1% or 2% in elections. Nice. So you're, uh, you're kind of leveraging your professional career into political action as well. Yeah. Awesome. So talk about the career or the job of a promoter versus a artist manager versus even like a booking agent. And, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm just really curious about the kind of inner workings of the music industry. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll, for the audience is probably going to think about like a favorite artist they have, right? So think about your favorite artist and imagine like wherever they might be playing in your hometown, right? So let's say I take my favorite artist and we're taking Orlando, Foo Fighters are playing at the Amway Center. Um, but how does that all happen, right? So Foo Fighters is represented by a, a few different people. And two of them that, that you mentioned are the artist manager and then the booking agent. The artist manager is kind of like the, the GM of a company. So 
if you, and they're not the owner, right? they're not the CEO, but they're the GM. Mm-hmm. And the GM kind of just runs everything within the company. They're making sure that all the managers are doing the job that is, or all the, yeah, all the managers within the company are doing what they're supposed to be doing and all, every department is running the way it's supposed to run. So that's kind of the artist manager's role in an artist career, right? So the artist is the, the founder, the CEO, then the artist manager is kind of the, the GM or second in command uh, for the company. And they're making sure that every department within the artist's career is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, if those departments don't exist, then the manager is doing everything and or along with the artist. So they wear multiple hats too uh, in the early stages of an artist's career. But one of those departments is the booking and touring department, which is represented by the agent. So the manager doesn't book tours. Uh, and actually... Um, it's kind of a, a, a libertarian thought. Um, it, you have to have a license to be an agent, which is, I think, like really, really stupid. Jeez. Um, yeah. And, and it depends on the state, right? Not every state, but sure. California needed a, a license um, and they're probably one of the strictest. So if you're a manager and you book a show, it's technically uh, a felony, um, which is crazy just for booking a show. I mean, what talk is, about not. Yeah. What's like the reasoning behind that? Why would you need a, man, uh, a license for that? I don't know the exact reason, but I have some assumptions and probably comes from managers ripping um, artists off Um, and and double dipping, right? So the manager gets a percentage from what the artist earns, but then the agent also gets a percentage from what the artist earns. So sometimes in the past, managers have double dipped. They have taken their management commission and an agent commission, or they just take taken a crazy commission. Uh, An example would be Elvis Presley. Uh, His manager was a guy named uh, um, Colonel Tom Parker. And he was in the United States illegally. Uh, so he's actually from Netherlands. And a lot of people noticed, but Elvis Presley actually never played outside of the United States. And the reason that was because Colonel Tom Parker was afraid that if he Elvis left, that he couldn't leave the country with him and then not be able to come back. And the, the fear he had, if he leaves the country, other managers could talk to him because he had a really shady deal with Elvis Presley. He was getting 50% of all his revenue. The industry standard for managers is 15 to 20%. Uh, so he was taking way more than and he should have. And he didn't want other managers telling him that or him telling that to other managers. So Colonel Tom Parker was pretty much everywhere where Elvis went. And I think because of stories like that and, and other, like I guess, potentially like shady things that managers did in the past is why that, that exists. 50%. That's outrageous. Spotify's yeah. like, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, if, if only California had heard of Spotify before they started licensing agents. I know, right? <laughs> and then um, on the on the, the shows from, right? So the agent is the one booking the, the Foo Fighters, uh, for using that example again. And then they're negotiating with what's called talent buyers. And talent buyers are people that work for promoters. So if I start a production company and I start promoting shows on my own, I'm also wearing the role of the talent buyer, right? So I'm wearing that position unless I hired someone to be my talent buyer. But talent buyers negotiate with agents and the talent buyers represent the venues and promoters and the agents represent the artists. So that's kind of how that whole structure works. Nice. And so the promoter works for the club or the, the venue, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so the, the talent buyer works for the promoter, right? So the promoter is the company. So Live Nation is a promoter. Oh. And if Live Nation does a show at the like the local arena, um, now Live Nation's negotiating on their own behalf and on the arena's behalf with that okay. agent. Now, if Live Nation owns the venues, let's say it's House, House of Blues or Fillmore, then they represent, same, the venue and the promoter, right? So they're the promoter to the company. And then a the town buyer is a position within that, that production company. So what about the smaller clubs? Like, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. right now, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is First Ave here in Minneapolis. But like, That's a great, great spot. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think they're independent, right? They're not they're not owned by Live Nation or anybody like that. No, they're independent. And then so the, the um that, that venue would have a, a talent buyer that works for the venue. Okay. And because the venue is promoting the show without an outside promoter, or if they're promoting like so sometimes venues will have outside promoters come in and rent mm-hmm. the rooms. But I know that venue um they definitely do their own shows, uh, even without promoters. Yeah. So when they're doing their own shows, they're the promoter and the venue. If Live Nation comes in and does a show there, then Live Nation is the promoter, and then First Ave is just the venue facilitating, um, you know, giving the facility to, to the promoter. Cool. And so is the promoter just like doing business with radio stations and running contests and stuff like that? or uh... um, Their main business is with, with the agents and, and, their, okay. and the artists. But then when they're... So the promoter, it's such a weird concept because uh, promoter is technically you're promoting something right you're marketing something but uh promoter is also the company and then within mm-hmm. that company you have marketing people um so the marketing people within the promoters um will negotiate with radio stations and everything and try to like get deals uh to run run ads on radio or wherever they run ads but there's 
radio, TV, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and so on. Awesome. So you said you're you're kind of branching out into comedians and podcasters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is that different from from promoting musicians, or is it? There's uh, a lot of similarities. A lot of things overlap because you're trying to build an audience. You're trying to build a a business that's that's monetizing itself. The key difference is that a I mean, comedians. So the key difference between podcasters and so I'm gonna put comedians and musicians very similar. Um, yeah. Very similar business structure where. The podcast, the main difference is that they're a content creator first and they're creating, so like instead of creating music, they're creating podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. And podcasters have a big enough audience, they can actually tour also. Like they'll, they'll tour and they'll play the same venues that comedians and, and musicians will play. And that's where the, the model comes ve- becomes very similar. Uh, it's almost like then identical. Um, so just, just replace music with podcasts or comedy. Mm-hmm. But cool. essentially it's all the same. So if a comedian is someone who is a stand-up and they're like maybe writing for a TV show and mm-hmm. maybe they even want to be an actor and get into, into film and TV, would they use the same agent for, for both of those? Or would they like have a specific agent for booking shows and another agent for getting them auditions? Great question. Um, so uh, can be both. So there's major agencies and then boutique. So the major agencies usually are full-service agencies. So I guess that's the, the more correct term. So there's full-service agencies and then boutique agencies, right? So boutique target on a specific talent. So it could be acting, it could be touring, it could be literary, right? Uh, so the, the writing portion. Full-service agencies will have multiple departments. So like there's, a, there's the big six, but two of them are really the main players. Uh, William Morris Endeavor or William Morris Agency, what they used to be, and then Creative Artist Agencies. Those two have been around the longest. And William Morris has actually been around since the 1880s, I think. And then CAA got started in, I think, around the 60s, um, which was a couple of agents from William Morris that started CAA. And those two are the biggest. I mean, they can literally take a musician and... Um, if they wanted to write a book, can now get a, a book publishing deal for them. If they wanted to create a Broadway series on the book, and they could now uh, book that Broadway tour. And now let's say they wanted to make a film on it. Now they can even use that person to be a writer, director, and uh, actor within in their own movie and then branch out and do other movies. Um, CAA famously uh, also has a sports division. And I think William Morris does too, but CAA brokered a deal where... Um, <laughs> love them or hate them but uh, when Dwayne Wade LeBron James and Chris Bosh when they all signed with the Miami Heat that was a really big deal and CAA brokered that deal so they could literally do anything from from that to taking LeBron and putting him that one on that Amy Schumer, Schumer movie he was on was it the train wreck I think it was called yeah. uh, to whether else if he decided to write a book they could do, do uh, the book for him or if he decided to now tour the book they could book all that as well I was surprised by how well LeBron acted in that movie actually I was, I was surprised too. Yeah. John Cena, man, that was a that was kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I guess Cena is an actor. Like, pro wrestling right. is acting, but yeah, I was, I was surprised. That was, man, that was back when Amy Schumer was funny too. Yeah, <laughs> that was good old days. Movie. That was a good. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah, I guess you're not allowed to talk shit about celebrities, are you? Like, could you get blacklisted for for making that joke I just did? Oh, uh, I can. I can. Talk about celebrities. <laughs> I, I, might, I might not be able to tell you names of specific stories I personally witnessed, but sure. I can tell you stories <laughs> without names. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear some stories. But first, let's talk about what 2020 was like in your industry. I went to a comedy show in October of 2020 in Dallas. And cool. there were, I think, 12 people in the audience because the tables were so spread apart. And it was all it was all local comedians. Okay. Uh, went back to Dallas in April of this year, 2021, mm-hmm. and actually saw like a big show. It was it was oh, uh, cool. Ali. God, I forgot her last name. Ali Wong. Uh, she's a she's been on Rogan a couple of times. Okay. Anyway, it was a great show, and she's from California, so she was you know joking about the, the difference between California, where they were still pretty much fully locked down and everybody right. was wearing masks even outdoors, and Texas, where it was like you know uh, you look at people funny for wearing the mask rather than yeah. rather than <laughs> the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So I know you were you were furloughed or laid off or something like that mm-hmm. by your employer. Yeah. How did you how did you make it in 2020? 2020 is a year full of highs and lows. So I had a, I had a kid, our first kid in uh, 2020. So that was extreme high. 
thank you. Uh, so he's 15 months old now. Uh, but then a few months later, I got laid off because you know I was I was working for AEG and they weren't doing any concerts and they didn't know how long this this was gonna last. If this was gonna last, you know, a couple more months or if it's gonna last years. So they decided to lay off and furlough um, hundreds, if not thousands, of their employees. And uh, we had no idea if and when touring is gonna return and how it's gonna look when it returns. And the thing too is, you know, it's not like when bars get cleared to be open again that immediately that day you can have at least touring concerts again you probably have to do local stuff but it still takes at least 88 weeks of lead time to book a date properly promote a date to do it right i mean you could do pop-up shows but to do it right bare minimum you want eight weeks to book it confirm it put it on sale and then start promoting the show and try to get enough people out there uh so whenever business would start back up it'd be eight weeks from that point when touring can start back up um and it it was, it was it was it was an interesting time. I'm not happy with how the the industry has handled it. Um, you know, it's the music industry is what's called an oligopoly, so like few companies uh, controlling the whole thing. And with Live Nation and AG being the two biggest promoters, if they decide to to shut down their business and their venues, and then you take you know the six big agencies and they decide to shut down, especially if it's CA and William Morris, um, there's not a lot of tours going out, regardless, right? So there's not enough not enough momentum out there to stick it to the man and do shows anyway, um, which I wish some some people would have done. But but it's almost like everybody obeyed the orders. And that just pissed me off so much about the industry itself. So I was kind of mad at the industry for a while. And But I had to figure out what do I do? You know, I, I just had a kid. I need to make income. And before I started working for AG, I was in artist management. And one of my Longtime mentors, like the first person that ever gave me a shot in the music industry, Randy Dees is his name. Um, he he got me into artist management and at like a serious level. So I was like, let me apply what he's taught me and what I've learned from the industry and just start managing artists. And I always say, you know, promoting shows is the ultimate gateway drug into the industry because you get to talk to agents, managers, labels, publicists. You talk to like all different types of people in the industry. Uh, the only area you don't touch is like the publishing side. You don't talk to like ASCAP, BMI, like the publishing companies. But other than that, you meet a lot of people. So you should have a network you've been promoting for a long time. So I just started managing and thank thank God. I feel very, very blessed that it's been able to build up within a year. And this fall, as long as everything go, comes in line as as uh, as promised, like I don't consider anyone a confirmed client until, until I have the money in the bank. But um should be doing better than I did uh, before COVID, which would be awesome. such a relief. Yeah. So, or, oh, by the way, Ali Mikowski was the name of the comedian whose name I okay. can't remember. Yeah, oh, she's cool. hilarious. So, yeah. I highly recommend it if anybody is looking for a good comic. I need I need a good comedy show soon. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. It's nuts. Yeah. So, are you working for yourself now, or are you still under the AEG, AEG umbrella? Nope, I'm, I'm working uh, for myself. So, I mean, nice. I do have a couple of people I work for, um, but I consider it all like freelance. But I, so I do teach at uh, two universities in okay. in Florida, uh, but only as an adjunct. So like as an adjunct, it's not a full-time position. You're, you're basically make your own schedule. Um, yeah. And just as long as all the work's done and you're answering students' emails and grading papers, you're good. So you, you know, create your own hours. Uh, so I consider that freelance because of the flexibility. Uh, so I technically worked for two universities and then the rest is all freelance. And the management company I used to work with, the mentor, Randy Dees, uh, I do all the digital marketing now for, for his uh, artists. So he kind of took me nice. back under his wing uh, a year later. So what are some things that people, maybe maybe even people with no in- industry experience could do like freelance if they mm-hmm. say they say they didn't want to go work for a big, one of the big six or even a boutique or if they wanted to start their own boutique? With, with people within the industry? Or, uh, yeah, or I mean, is there, is, an, there anything an like a, is there anything a total beginner could do freelance without starting in the mailroom at a company, which I know is yeah, uh, absolutely. kind of the cliche or at least the cliche on your show? I, I love the mailroom reference because yeah. <laughs> that's as an agent, that's where you start. It's yeah. literally, it's literally the mail. I mean, you've imagine listeners, you guys don't know, but it's, imagine hundreds of agents, all these agents have assistants, and then you have accountants and human resources people. I mean, you're literally bringing the mail to people's desks uh, yeah. all day long and, and packages and stuff. It's crazy. But um, what can people do? There's so much you can do. Um, right. so I think and I think this is going to be relevant, not just for, for the music industry, but for any industry that people are in, uh, if you want to do some more freelance work. Um, the biggest opportunities, the most job opportunities within the music industry and most 
industries, I think, are in marketing and finance. So if you can either get a finance degree or an accounting degree, uh, you will do really well in most industries. Um, at, at AEG, where I was, most of the jobs were marketing and accounting um, or some kind of finance uh, uh, position. Um, and it's the same with Live Nation and other major companies in the music industry. But um, if let's say you don't go to school and you want to do it more more DIY and uh, kind of just build your your own destiny, uh, marketing is a great route to go. And I would st- uh, suggest to start out with the Google certifications; they're free. Um, so how to do ads on on YouTube and the Google Display Network? Uh, get the Google Analytics certification so you can learn how to uh, read analytics on Google. Um, Try to do some of the Facebook Blueprint courses. Um, they're not free anymore, but they're pretty cheap. Uh, and really learn how to run Facebook ads. The next nice. thing I would do is learn about ad funnels. Like learn how ad funnels work. Um, and then learn how to use the back-end platform of Facebook, so Facebook Business Manager, to run ads instead of hitting that boost button. So now that you heard this, never hit the boost button again and you ads listening <laughs> out there. That's the worst way. Like if you say you spent 20 bucks in an ad and it didn't work, it's because you hit the boost button. Yeah. <laughs> As a kind of serial course taker yeah. and wannabe internet marketer, I can tell you, I've hit that boost button a few times. <laughs> but not anymore, it's, right? It's never successful. <laughs> it's never successful. When you hit uh, the boost buttons, people are like your page and, and their friends and not necessarily your target audience, yeah. right? Especially if you're, the people that like your page are, like let's say you're first starting out, it's probably your friends and family. And your friends and family might not be your target audience. Uh, they're just your friends and family. But um, so those are things you can do. Um, you could also, there's a lot of great courses out there where you can learn some graphic design work, learn video editing. I mean, video editing sounds daunting, um, but I, I do it. I edit a video and it's not my my first thing I want to do, but it's, yeah, say if you can attach an email or t- attach something to an email, you can do basic editing. I mean, you can do some cutting and, and putting things together, right? Segments yeah. together. Once, And then there's YouTube videos. If you want to learn how to do something, like how do I fade out the, the audio or the music or how do I create a cooler transition or how do I zoom in on something on a picture? Just watch it on YouTube. That's all free. Um, but if you learn some of these skills, um, you can now go apply them somewhere. Like go to Fiverr and start a Fiverr account and now you have a side hustle doing editing podcasts or editing videos or creating graphic designs or even transcribing podcasts. I mean, people are looking for that. They're paying good money to get their podcast transcribed from, from um, audio to text. So there's a lot of little side hustles and freelance stuff you can do. Yeah, that's awesome. I think one time I, well, no, it's not I think, I, I did. Mm-hmm. I was at a concert at a much smaller club than First Ave, but uh, this band that Frankie Muniz from Malcolm in the Middle was touring with, they were there. And so I went and hung out with him for a little bit, which was kind of neat. He was managing the band. And then oh. there's like this sidebar, like this this club, it has a bar in the in the actual, you know, music hall. And then mm-hmm. you go through a door and there's a much smaller like dive bar. And that's oh, where cool. the opening act was hanging out. So oh. like, I was actually just like hanging out with the opening act. I bought them a drink and oh, was also kind of, you know, just flirting and talking to all the people there. And <laughs> I mean, it was great. You know, uh, mm-hmm. how do you, like as a freelance person, find clients other than, you know, that? <laughs> in, in the music industry, it's pretty easy. Um, okay. And, and the reason I say that, as long as you have a skill, you can bring to the table, right? So that's why I, I focus on some of those, those like, I guess, you know, marketing skills or graphic design or video editing because every artist needs help. Every artist is a, is a business um, and start small and, scale, and like work your way up, right? So every local independent artist um, is probably working a full-time job, is doing music as, as a side hustle. It's their, their dream and their passion or they're in school full-time and maybe even working part-time in addition to that. And they have their music career, right? So there's not a lot of time to, to do the business stuff of the music. Uh, so they're mostly spent, most artists that are first starting out are spending most of their time on music, not too much time on business. So if you can help manage the business stuff for them and start small, you know, it's about building trust. So, hey, I know you're playing three times a week in town or three times a month in town or whatever, you're playing around on the area. Do you have someone that can create flyers for you? Or do you need someone to come and take photos and shoot video and, and edit those for you and create little like pieces of content. Or it can be as simple as say you don't have one of those like digital skills. You're want to help out an artist to sell merch. Like, do you have someone to sell merch for you? Can I come and set up the table really nice for you, right? But if you're going to do that and you want to try to use that to build a business from it, then do it to the highest level. Like, so bring 
bring a tablecloth, a nice one, just in case the band doesn't have one. Trust me, most bands don't. Or they they have like a really ripped up one or a dirty one. So bring a nice clean tablecloth. Um, bring your laptop. Inventory their merch. Keep an inventory for them. Um, bring some extra lights. Like make sure their their merch table's well lit because most. Artists starting out are probably going to think about that. Um, so just create a very professional presentation for them. And even bring something to collect emails in case the band doesn't have that either. And now collect emails for them, right? Because now they're going to be like, wow, this person came here with a laptop. They inventory our merch, which we've never had an inventory and we probably should. They made my sure our merch area was well lit. It was run professionally. Um, they collected emails for us. Like this person's so organized, right? So now you've established trust on the business side and now you can maybe work your way up to taking on more responsibilities and maybe becoming a manager eventually. Or you know, another thing you can also do as well, the next step would be Let's say the band hates dealing with money, like hates dealing with the promoters and the promoters are shady, right? And you can be like, hey, I'll sell your merch and I'll chase down the promoters and settle the shows for you and make sure you get paid properly. Um, and, and Shep Gordon, my favorite manager uh, who manages Alice Cooper, his, he says the most important role for a manager is to always get the money. So if you're able to sell merch and get the money, now you've worked your way into a job, whether that's tour manager or becoming a manager eventually. But yeah, that's, that's how I would start. And you can do that probably for a couple of artists starting out. Man, that's it. That's 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 right there. Just like a game plan, um, especially yeah. <laughs> if you're working with smaller local acts. I mean, you know, I I probably wouldn't want to go on tour with somebody to sell their merch, but you know, <laughs> if it's somebody like you said, you're playing a couple of shows a month, um, and you yeah. need someone to sell t-shirts for you, well, there you go. Yeah. That be- and, and that small and that small club, sorry, um, that small club that you saw the show at, right, the opening mm-hmm. act that you hung out with uh, in the side room. I mean. Even if they're touring artists, they may not have someone to sell merch. They might sell their own merch. So you can yeah. still reach out to a touring artist and be like, hey, do you have anybody to sell merch for you in Minneapolis? If not, I'd love to help you out and oh. uh, set up a really nice you know, merch table for you and try to increase your sales. It's a great idea. It'd probably get you into the show for free too, wouldn't it? That absolutely would. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> you're, you're, you're making my gears go. Uh, turn. <laughs> a buddy of mine just got a, what, a job offer from a Live, Ma- Live Nation club oh, cool. in their accounting department, which is kind of cool. Awesome. I mean, it's like, you know, just... It's small potatoes, really. I mean, he's yeah. going to be doubling as a as a cashier for, <laughs> to tell you, like, you know, how how small potatoes it is. But uh, you know, it's a real Live Nation club. Um, yeah, he absolutely. got his start, like he got his accounting degree fairly recently in the last couple of years. But as a teenager, he had a website called uh, I think it was like meetacelebrity dot com, and <laughs> his whole thing was going out photographing concerts. And like teaching his audience how they can get in and like shake hands or, or, you know, take a selfie with or whatever, either the bands or the, you know, author or actor or whatever. And he actually had that monetized too. He, he gave it up. Oh, cool. But, uh, yeah, that's it's awesome. pretty neat. And that's, and that's another way to get, get into shows for free, right? Uh, take, take photos. If you're yeah. a photographer and you just want to like take photos of, of shows, because really most of the times you're only taking photos, you're either only taking photos of the first three songs or you're actually only allowed to take photos of the first oh. three songs. Um, and, and then you just hang out and, and enjoy the rest of the show after that. In just a couple of weeks, actually, I'm going to see one of my favorite bands, Tall Heights, which probably tells you a little bit about my music taste. Yeah. I'm going to go see them on like a backyard tour. They're just, they're just occupying oh, people's fun. yards. Kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of Robbie Bernstein from the Dave Smith's Part of the Problem show. Um, he's doing like porch tours. Uh, is that yeah. something that you've seen a lot of popped up in the last year? Uh, yes. And before that, um, oh. so any, anybody that is listening that is a musician, um, or, or thinking about it or, you know, whatever, or even comedian, um, there is a really big mark market or demand for house concerts, um, whether it's backyard or in actual people's houses. And there's a really good book by an artist named Shannon Curtis. Um, what is it called? I think it's called no booker, no bartender, no problem or something like that. And it's like how she made $25,000 in a two month house concert tour. And, that $25,000 has now turned into her making close to 60, 70,000 in four months only. Uh, and this book is like seven bucks on Amazon. And she literally gives you the blueprint how to do it. Like literally and, and, uh, and how she did it. And she has a, a course that she does on Patreon. It's pretty cheap, but honestly, the book alone will, will teach you everything, how to do house concerts and monetize them. And it's for all genres. Like it's not just singer songwriters. I mean, comedians will do, can do it. Um, and I've even seen hip hop shows at uh, people's houses where they turn them over into a house party and metal shows, um, will play people's houses. Uh, and th- yeah. those are a whole lot of fun, especially like when it's like a garage metal show, that's kind of, kind of a cool, cool vibe. I'm sure the neighbors love that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I mean, you know, 
Thad Russell's putting on a thing at Buck Johnson's house, and you know he lives on a couple uh-huh. of acres. Like the na- the neighbors aren't going to care because right. I mean, what do you, I mean, what it's <laughs> it's not like they're going to be anywhere near us. So yeah, that that'll be cool. Well, what about some stories? So, like, what was the first concert that you ever were involved in professionally? Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, well, it was the one that I planned. So, like, technically, because I got crazy. Um, because it was so much fun planning this concert, uh, I decided. So it was, it was called Rock for Hunger. Um, you can actually still look it up. Um, but it was to raise money for hunger and homelessness. Um, we we said it locally and globally. So we raised money for a local organization, and so we split it between a local and a global organization at the time. And that was technically my first big concert, but it wasn't really my first concert because I got crazy with it and I wanted to create a bunch of pre-shows leading up to the concert to kind of promote it. So some of the artists that played it, we did smaller concerts at bars uh, before it. Uh, and we did one at the student union at UCF, like right out front. And they brought all this, this massive sound system and we got, we, got, uh, we got shut off because we were too loud. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, those, those, those series of concerts will be my, my first ones. And the first one was, was fun because it was all local bands that played. We had eight different local bands and I wanted to have like, you know, I, I envisioned, man, I was like such a big dreamer back then. I envisioned like a local live, live eight, uh, where it's like all genres. Um, and we had, we had hip hop, we had rock, we had metal, we had, uh, we had this African influenced uh, musician. It was, it was fun. And, uh, we had local sponsors, we had vendors, we had, uh, these guys <laughs> dressed as, as, um, uh, the guys from Wayne's World, uh, Wayne and Garth, that would just go around and, and take photos with people. Um, and two of the bands that play that asked me to, to work with them and book more shows for them. Um, and that's kind of how I got, how I got in. And that's how I knew, okay, like I can actually work in this industry um, and by helping local bands. So that, that, that was my first one. And it's probably the most memorable because that's, that was my start into the industry. You recently interviewed somebody who, I think he said he went to like 21 concerts in a week. Does it get tiring or like boring or, or, or so when going to shows becomes your job, does it, does it like lose its magic? Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, it's, there's, there's someone, a, a mentor of mine too, his name's Jim Malney. He, he runs House of Blues in Orlando and he's, and he's, um, also the regional VP for the Southeast region. Um, so he runs the entire Southeast region for, for Live Nation and clubs and theaters. And, he said it's not necessarily that it gets it's old going to shows. It just takes a lot more for something to hit, like you know, really like feel it. But when it hits, it hits way harder than it ever has before. Um, so like when you're first starting out going to shows, like every show is exciting. But when you're doing it as a job, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, and the sad thing is, if you're behind the scenes, you don't even get to see most of the shows. Like I was doing the money stuff and settlements during shows. So when yeah. when I was an artist, I really wanted to see. Like I was always bummed out I couldn't couldn't see one of my favorite artists, but, um, and, but what he said is so true. Like I still like love the environment and love going to shows regardless. Um, especially like, it's more like about now, now seeing the other people like either go to shows all the time or work shows. And it's like kind of like just to hang with your friends. But when you see that one artist, especially after, after seeing, you know, over a couple thousand shows, once you see that show that really hits you, it hits you hard. <laughs> what's a, what's, what's a show that's really hit you? Recently or? Well, recently and like of all time. Uh, from a Foo Fighters example. So, yeah. um, Foo Fighters did this tour where they were playing, it was for the Sonic Highways album, where they were playing clubs in, in so they recorded 10 songs and each of the 10 songs was in a musically, like very music influential city in the United States. So it was like New Orleans, it was Seattle, it was Chicago, New York, mm-hmm. LA, right? And they did a series on HBO to go along with the album. And every episode, so it was a 10-week series, uh, every episode was on one of those cities. And it was like a mini documentary about the history of music within that city. And then after the documentary aired, they did a secret live show in that city uh, at a small club. So it wasn't you know, a band that can play, even at that time, arenas and stadiums. And they were playing like 800 to 2,000-person clubs. And the smallest club on that on that tour, I think it was the smallest club, was Our House of Blues in New Orleans, which held 850 people. And they played there. I, of course, got one of the best spots in the club because I was, I was lucky enough to have to be the town buyer. And I can just say, I'm going to stand right there to watch the show. 
Um, so seeing my favorite artist from like a really great view, pretty close up, um, was just just magical. And I feel like they they exploded that building. <laughs> Would you consider the Foo Fighters one of the more not just entertaining but technically like skilled bands active right now? Maybe. I wouldn't say technically skilled, no. no. Um, and, and it's only because I know too, ma- too many artists. Okay, cool. I don't, know anything about, I don't know anything about technique or technicals of music. Mm-hmm. I just know that Foo Fighters can give me goosebumps on the radio, not just live. Oh, yeah. So like yeah, yeah. that's, <laughs> and I don't know what that is. They're, they're, they're really good at writing songs. They, they write okay. great songs. Um, and this is a great <laughs> quote from Dave Grohl that I show in, uh, in, cl- in class sometimes. What does he say? What does he say? Uh, he said to make it in the music business as a band, it's not about playing or headlining the biggest stages on you know, Bonnaroo or Coachella, but it's about playing great songs at the shithole down the street and making people feel amazing. That's what makes a great band. Uh, so we just play any small club and, and make that show memorable. That's what makes a great band. And Foo Fighters can do that. Is there a particular concert that you saw when you were younger and that's what like made you realize you wanted to be in the industry? I don't know if it made me realize I wanted to be in the industry because I, I grew up in Germany and I didn't know that a job in the industry when you know, I was little was, was a real thing. I mean, I was mm-hmm. my first concert, I was 10 years old. Uh, it was Guns N' Roses at the Frankfurt Soccer Stadium. Um, and so imagine, you know, 70,000, 80,000 people at a show. It's completely sold out. And it was my favorite band at the time. I'm screaming on top of my lungs to to every song. And that concert made me want to be a rock star. So I guess in a way, I would be going into the industry, but I thought I, was, I wanted to be a musician. Uh, never thought I would end up on, on the business side. Do you play any instruments? Not anymore. I used to play guitar. When I was, when I was in high school and college, I, I played the guitar. <laughs> uh, what classes do you teach at the universities that you teach at? Uh, so at one I teach, it's, it's a music business program. Um, I teach artist management, concert touring, and then music business 101 and then 102. Um, and then at the other school, it's more of an like all hospitality and entertainment. So like I cover like, you know, even theme parks and casinos. Oh. But uh, there I teach production management, um, uh, financial performance in the entertainment industry. It's a new course that I'm teaching and I'm going to try to sneak in some Austrian economics into that. Uh, nice. <laughs> and uh, what, what else do I teach there? I teach a... Man, it was a brand new course I just started and I'm blanking on what it was. I don't know, two other courses there at hospital. Oh, an introduction to the entertainment industry. Oh, cool. um, and then I'm, t- I'm actually going to be teaching a gaming course. We're not gaming as far as like, you know, like gaming on a computer, like gaming is like gambling um, at casinos and stuff. Uh, I'm teaching that for the first time this, this fall. Sweet. Yeah. So it seems to me that like when there's a big cataclysm, it presents lots of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So do you think in the kind of wake of COVID and the shutdowns and all that, the music industry is just a ripe place for people who are looking to get started in a career, either specifically in the music industry or like just they happen to get lucky and this is the niche they fall into. Do you think that, I guess, there's like lots and lots of opportunities specifically because of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean... There's, there's always been quite a few opportunities in the music industry because you can, like any person, just go start managing their, their friend's band. Um, yeah. or, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in the music industry, for sure. Um, there's also a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurship. Um, I want to do this, this, this presentation kind of inspired by, by Larry Sharp where I feel like the music industry has the blueprint to end poverty mm-hmm. um, because we're in, besides the few states that require licenses for being an agent, you don't need a license to be a manager. You don't need a license to be an artist. You don't need a license to start a label. Uh, and in most states, you don't need a license to be an agent. So it's an industry that to the most part, except for when it comes to like the publishing uh, and copyright stuff, but when it comes to touring and live, it mostly regulates itself. Uh, it doesn't need to rely on government to regulate it, uh, which is one of the reasons I was so pissed at how they handled the, the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, because they almost like became, I don't know, like slaves to the government all of a sudden listening to every word that they, or yeah. every recommendation that they put out. Watching TV every day to see what the governor allows oh, you God. to do. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of do a concert now. Um, but... Outside of that, like I mean, it's a pretty free and open market in the music industry, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs, which is makes it such a catch twenty two, right? That it's a mostly liberal, progressive, supposedly in- industry. Um, I, I feel like most people in the music industry are libertarian; they just don't know it, and that's yeah. kind of what my presentation is going to be about because they're all capitalists and they all have open free markets, and 
try to take 20% of a rapper's money that just <laughs> sold tw- you know, a bunch of shirts and CDs out of that backpack and, yeah. and hustled all that. Uh, try to take tax that, <laughs> that cash. They're not going to be very happy about it. So, Thad Russell is fond of saying that Donald Trump was the first black president because, yeah. <laughs> like, because like, the Trump culture, like prior to him being like the redneck president, you know, his, his entire thing was swag and gold. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, hell, I think Trump's been name dropped in so many rap songs by now. Oh, so many. I mean, <laughs> even I mean, way before he was president. I mean, I think since yeah. the 90s or even late 80s, people yeah. have been rapping about Donald Trump. He's just like the the very image of like, you know, what you want to be if you want to be a rich, ostentatious person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so before we started, I asked if there was anything you didn't want to talk about. And you said, no, it's cool. So I'm going to I'm going to get, get a little bit personal. Okay. People might notice that the that, that there's been a bit of a, a clicking sound coming from your end of the yeah. conversation. So you you told me that you've got Tourette's. Has mm-hmm. that impacted your career at all, or like did you get bullied for it as a kid or anything like that? So impacted my career not not too much, but yeah, I got bullied like like hard as a kid. Um, and and that's one thing. Like I, I mean, I'm glad you asked me that because like, I love talking about this. Um, like I want to try to create more more awareness for you know for kids that have Tourette's and the number of kids that have Tourette's is actually pretty high. Um, I think it's one in a hundred now. They're saying. Um, which, you know, 1%, I mean, about 1% out of, let's say, 300 million, you have 3 million kids that have Tourette's in the United States. Um, and most of it is still, like, kind of underdiagnosed. Um, so there might be more. It might be more than 1%. But, man, I could not imagine being bullied in today's world. I mean, I mean, thank God I grew up in, in the 80s and 90s because being bullied, I mean, you could run away from your bullies, right? I can go home and never see my bully until I go back to school. But... These days, you're you're getting bullied online on on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever kids hang out, and I could not imagine what that's like. Um, that's probably got it's got to be awful. Just how how bad those those situations were for me, and you know, depression, anxiety, and and suicide is is a thing in in the yeah. Tourette's uh, community. And, um, and I don't know anybody that's listening. If you have a a friend, a a kid, or a brother, a sister, nephew, whatever. If you know anybody has Tourette's, feel free to reach out. Um, I've done a lot of natural remedies. There is, you know, and I'm not a doctor. Um, there is medicine you could take for it. But I feel from my experience, and I never, I never took the medicine, but I've seen kids that have taken the medicine. Um, but from my experience, the alternative remedies are just as effective as the medicine. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And the key is whatever remedy you choose is being consistent with it, um, especially the alternative remedies, right? So like like meditation, and I basically have to become a big hippie if you <laughs> if you want to do it the the alternative way. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely been bullied a lot growing up, and then. I like to believe it's never cost me uh, from getting a job because uh, I feel like I am more incapable to do everything that everybody else can do as well. But I'm sure, yeah. I mean, you know, I know I'm probably not the the first person that you want to send into a very professional meeting with clients, maybe because of my my takes. But maybe that talks says also a lot about that person's character if they think like that. So if if there's anybody that either treated me like that without me knowing or if someone is treating someone like that that has Tourette's, it's probably the right, not the right person that you want to work for because uh, there's plenty of people that will treat you with respect and, and value you and your work if you, if you work hard. And, yeah. and Yeah, go ahead. Well, I can just imagine working in an industry that's kind of high drama anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> people yeah. might even be talking about you behind your back and stuff, which just breaks my heart. Like I've, yeah. I've worked in multiple co- corporate environments, but like, you know, they've all just been pretty pretty accepting of everything, but, uh, yeah. And, and music industry, the funny thing is, is it's like as supposedly woke as the music industry yeah. thinks they, thinks they are, uh, they're pretty crass. I mean, yeah. I, I've, that's one artist I want to name, but a pretty big artist. Um, his tour manager basically bullied me for, for having Tourette's. He, he accused me of doing drugs. Um, cause, cause you know, like, it was a stressful day. Like a lot, a lot of stuff went wrong and the guy was just a jerk. And one of the triggers for Tourette's is stress and um, and lack of sleep and everything. And you know, it's a very early day. We're starting at 7 a.m. Uh, so that's already a little bit less sleep than normal. And then it starts becoming a very stressful day. So throughout the day, my tics get worse. And then the guy start, starts accusing me of, of doing drugs and curses me out. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a very, very pleasant day. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up. Um, yeah, we, we, we always say once they leave, you never have to see them again. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> So you've done promoting and you've done artist management. Are there other jobs that you've been in? I know that you say that you kind of advise your students to try to get into booking agent work. 
first. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Uh, no. I mean, whatever whenever they want to get in. Um, yeah. I I just tell them kind of what I what I told you earlier. If they don't know where to start, being a promoter uh, is the is the ultimate gateway to drug in the industry because okay, you get okay. to touch so many different areas of the business. And there's so many different jobs within that. I mean, you can work, you know, like a really great way to get in is trying to work the box office somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what I always say too is just because you can't work box office at House of Blues or the local arena doesn't mean like you, you can't get a foot in the door in the industry another way, right? Yeah. So if you have a local theater, go try to work the box office at the local theater. And sure, they're probably going to use some independent ticketing platform but you're still going to learn how will calls work. You're still going to learn how putting shows on sale works. You're know, going to learn how to take shows off sale. So everything, all the nuances that go along with that, right? And then ideally, if you can find a venue that uses Ticketmaster, um, not that I'm supporting or endorsing Ticketmaster, but <laughs> it is what most of the industry uses. So if you can learn how to use Ticketmaster, and Ticketmaster is a lot of coding, um, just to pull up t- ticket sales and stuff. Um, but if you can learn basic HTML, um, along with trying to get your foot door in the door in the box office, then you can work your way into a job really quickly and work your way up really quickly. Um, the only thing I will say is if that's not your initial goal, right, to work in a box office somewhere, um, then stay focused on your goal at all times because the box office can be attractive because you could literally get promoted like every couple of years in the box office and um, if you're working for like Lab Nation or Ticketmaster and, you know, we get to a really, really high level. Um, because ticketing is just such a big part of the industry. But some people get into it wanting to be in marketing or wanting to be in talent, but they keep getting promoted in ticketing and now they end up being in a job that they don't really enjoy very much or wanted to have uh, because they just kept taking a promotion. Do you think um, like buying a club is a good move for someone who's got no industry experience? No. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> but what does what and, does and, a even, club and even with ex, even with experience, I don't, I don't really okay. Yeah, I, the the reason I ask is um, my very favorite very favorite music venue, the Triple Rock Social Club, mm-hmm. closed in 2017. Okay. I don't know if there's anything in its spot, but like I w- I've always just wished someone would 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 reopen it. Mm-hmm. But that sounds. I mean, it sounds like you. That's like a bad move, even if you do know what you're doing. I mean. If it's something that you know you're gonna love and it's a passion and a dream of yours, yeah. absolutely go for it. Um, ideally, you get some experience first. Um, like, man, to run a club. Let's say it's a, I don't know how big this club is, but let's say it's a small club, a two, three hundred person club, right? Yeah. If I were to start there, I would say book at least one hundred local shows first with local artists, then book at least one hundred touring shows and deal with agents Mm -hmm. and then try to do that in a year try to do 200 shows in a year and if you're profitable after that year then open a club because it's at the end of the day it's a volume business and you're gonna have a lot of winners and losers and if you after that volume because that's a volume that you're hoping that the winners will make up the losses um and, and after those amount of shows, after doing 100 local shows, 100 national shows, and then 200 shows, or at least 150 in one year, you're going to learn a lot uh, about expenses and how, how shows run and how different tour managers tick. Um, you're going to learn a whole lot by doing that. I think that would be a great way to uh, build enough experience before you go and run a club. Cool. So specifically, you're saying like book shows for like another club, like become their booker? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that'd be the ideal route. I mean, you know, and again, if it's a lifelong dream and that's something you want to do, um, go for it. I mean, let's say like the time is right now. Like there's a venue that's down the street that that's closed down. You have the, the either the capital yourself or you have the investors that are ready to go. At least build an advisory board of people that have done it uh, to to help advise you because there is definitely some things that you're only going to learn with with reps, like you know, by doing the shows and try to maybe shadow other club owners or town buyers or um so if it's so if it's not the club owner or the town buyer that runs the show the people that are going to most likely run the show or it's either what's called a promoter rep um could be the general manager or a production manager those three people are most likely going to run the show so that's who you really want to spend the time with um and maybe even like spend a day at a club like i mean even you're if you're not like shadowing like you're just interested in how it learns, sit at the bar all night and just watch how the bar operates and watch who 
comes behind the bar and talks to the bartenders. Look how they pull inventory. Like, try to learn as much as you can. And then another thing you can do one one other day is buy a ticket to the show, grab a drink, and then stand outside by the box office and just watch everything they deal with there. Like, you're gonna learn a lot about people trying to get into a club, and it's. And you may not learn it the first time. You know, it might take a few because you have to see different genres and how different crowds react. Because the big thing with a club is you cannot do shows in the same genre 365 nights a year. You're going to have to book other genres. I think that's going to be the key to success. Um, Going outside of your comfort zone and booking, you know, a hip-hop show. Then the next night's a metal show. The next night is a country show. Because when you have diversity, then you're going to be able to, one, do more volume, and two, by bringing more different types of people to your club, um, you're not burning out one one audience. That's really cool. So, I, I think, really want to open a club, even though I advise against it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think it would be awesome. Uh, be I think awesome, I'm gonna yeah. I think I'm gonna stick with my my main dream of opening a dive bar that serves just the best burgers in town in a small town. Some some. Hell yeah. That's yeah, like my. That's, if you're doing live music. It, yeah, exactly. Live music, karaoke, etc. That's like man, oh, my dream job. Hit hit me up. I'll, I'll gladly give you give you advice and some tips. All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, Chris. Why don't you go ahead and plug what you're, what you're, what you got going on, and uh, we'll we'll get out of here. Sure, yeah. Everything's at makingitwithchrisg.com. The big thing there is is the link to my YouTube channel. Uh, if you guys want to really see the most up to date stuff that I do, it's it's it is the YouTube channel. It's actually ahead of the the audio version of the podcast. And there, I almost weekly, like my my clients take a priority, so I'm not as consistent as I'd like to be. But I have a weekly episode uh, called Making It With Chris G, which is my main podcast. Um, I try, I'm trying to do weekly tips, like just little quick tips. They're, they're ending up being like 10 to 15 minute tips. And I just started a, a new podcast on the YouTube channel that I'm calling Liberty Sessions. And it's creatives talking politics. And my whole goal with that is trying to target the, the creative world and uh, maybe find some libertarians in, within the creative community. All right, Chris, I will put all those links in the show notes and I really appreciate your time today and just uh, keep making it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. This was, this was fun uh, and really, really good questions and a, a little different conversation from what I have normal. Thanks so much. Awesome, thanks. All right, thanks again to Chris for joining me today and thanks as always to you for tuning in. Remember, if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is by heading over to blackbird.substack.com and signing up with your email address. You can sign up for free, or you can throw me a few bucks so I can keep pumping out great professionally edited content. If you haven't already, head over to iTunes and leave me a review. It helps bump me up in the search algorithms. And of course, share the show with your friends on social networks. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode. And until the next one, live free. (laughs) 